Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We're in a season of unusual grace. I'm going to ask Tammy Parsley to come on up here. Let's give it up for Tammy Parsley. For those of you who are new, uh, Kurt and Tammy are longtime staff members at the church. Uh, they started attending when we were meeting in the roller rink. So uh, they were just getting ready to move to town. And uh, Kurt is our chief operations officer. Tammy has overseen the early childhood program, both Wednesday and Sunday, and preschool academy, and data entry, and da-da-da-da-da, lots of things. So uh, she's a go-getter. But a uh, few years back, she and Kurt were doing something, and it became obvious something was wrong with her physically. Just tell us a little bit about that. So three years ago, uh, we were moving our couch. We had our carpets cleaned, and so we got up early. I'm like, Kurt, can you help me move this couch? And he's like, yeah, you want to do it now? I'm like, yeah, let's move the couch. And so I was lifting the couch. He lifted his side, and after I lifted it and stood, um, stood up, we heard three bones break in my back. And I just dropped to the floor. I was in excruciating pain after lifting that couch. So you go to the doctors, and the doctors x-ray you and, and confirm the breaks, and, and what do they tell you? So they diagnosed me with severe osteoporosis. Like at the time I had, they were like, you have the bones of like an 85-year-old. Where all did you go to have this looked into? Because they couldn't figure out the cause. Right, they didn't know what was causing it. So I went to Mayo Clinic, uh, did a battery of tests, tons of scans. They're like, we can confirm that you have osteoporosis, but we, we don't know why. I also went to Cooper Clinic, a bone specialist in Dallas. Uh, so we kind of- And you went to several, you went to both naturopaths, you went all over the place, trying diets, trying different remedies, all of that. And then what happens is getting worse, right? Yeah, we, we, actually a year ago uh, this week, I had gotten another bone scan and I was just devastated because my bones had deteriorated even more. I'm like, okay, now I have a bones of like a 95 year old? I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, you can imagine there's a lot of things you weren't allowed to do and you, they're very active. They've got five kids. And uh, so what, what did they tell you not to do? So they told me, be careful how my posture, like bending over, I could break a bone. They said I could walk just don't fall. I couldn't ride a bike. I couldn't go on a boat because they said the boat, being on a boat, if we hit a wave, it could break my bones. Um, my bone, my ribs were popping out. They didn't know why. You didn't take any medication like Boniva or any of that? Correct. We had just prayed about it and didn't have a piece about going that route. And that wouldn't have cured the problem anyway, correct? Correct. Correct. So um, all of these things are happening. And in Tammy, and then about a month ago in our staff chapel, there was a prophetic word that God was going to heal her. Uh, at the time, you didn't feel anything, but talk just a little bit about that journey, how you processed just healing in this season where so many are getting healed. And then tell us about the moment you feel like God really touched you. So the staff was praying for me, and, and every time I would come forward or get prayed for, I would feel God touch me. but still have the same issue. And so when the staff gathered around me and prayed for me, it was just a powerful prayer. I didn't feel different. Like I didn't feel that, you know, how people explain like the warmness or, or anything. And so the next day I was actually visiting with Pastor Debbie and she's like, are you discouraged? And I started crying. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know God can heal me and I know he has me on this journey. And I've told God from the beginning, I'm like, God, I hate this journey that you have me on, but as long as you're with me, I can, I can do this journey. And, and he also gave me the scripture verse. 
in Isaiah that says, he that waiteth on the Lord will renew their strength. And so that, okay, God, you're just renewing my strength and my faith. And then on Vision Sunday, when the powerful testimonies that were shared, you could, I'm like, God, you healed them. That same healing is for me, although the enemy wants to speak that into your ear of that's not for you, you know, you're not gonna get it. But I'm like, no, I know I'm gonna get it. God just spoke to me on, you know what, just pray for other people, pray healing over other people. And on that Sunday, pastor asked people to come to the, you know, to the aisles and I was praying for people and just felt like the power of God, like I've never, ever felt before. This week, you guys go to a clinic that is renowned for diagnosing things. Um, tell us about going to the clinic and you're getting ready to have the scan and the doctor actually says, he sees your records and he's like, I'm gonna actually sit in there and watch the scan. Tell yeah. us what happened. So, um, you know, I was anxious going to the doctor and we prayed in the car and I just kept reading scripture verse and rattle that, love that worship song about dry bones in the name of the Lord. And so we get in there and he goes, you know, he, I sat with him for about 30 minutes he, going over my records and he's like, I'm gonna go in this scan with you and get this done. And the technician was in there. And, and when I laid on the table to, for them to start the scan, just a piece of God just so overcame me that I wasn't anxious at all. And when he was starting to read it and you know, they put in all the calculations and they hit the scanner and the computer has to read everything and generate. And he read the first um, spine scan and he's like, uh, no osteoporosis. And I'm laying on the table like, what? <laughs> what, what, what? <laughs> and they did six scans, zero osteoporosis. <laughs> What did he say to you? So I told the doctor, I told the doctor, hey, um, can I video you saying zero osteoporosis? And he's like, yeah, but you know, I need to study this more because I can't explain it. I'm like, I can. <laughs> I'm like, God has healed my bones. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Lord, we praise you. You're a miracle-working God. Well, you guys celebrated. You did something really crazy. We got a picture here. Tell us about it. So later that day, we were driving back, and there was this mile-long roller coaster. <laughs> and Debbie said, how are you going to celebrate? I'm like, we're going to go on a roller coaster. And I have to tell you, when you go get your tickets, they have like this big warning sign. Like if you have back issues, bone issues, do not go on it. And I'm like, no, God, I'm going to go on it because you've healed me. <laughs> One more time. Let's bless the Lord. Lord, you're so awesome. We praise you. I have to be honest, I talked to Kurt before the Wednesday night service, I mean, and then Debbie talked to Tammy, both of us, just tears of joy because we've watched the suffering they've gone through and been praying that God would heal them. And so when, uh, when we heard that, we just so rejoiced. And so I thought it'd be great for you to hear this story, but then I also thought in praying yesterday about it, I feel there's a grace right now from the Lord to heal people who have osteoporosis. If that's you, stand. All of our campuses watching online, stand right now. You have osteoporosis, we want you to stand. Now I'd like everybody to look around 
you know the situation. I'm asking you to gather around these who are standing. And if you're standing now, raise your arm, if you raise your hand if you can, so we can see where you're at. Let's gather around these with their hands raised. Keep your hand raised until people are around you. If you don't mind, I'm gonna ask you to pray first. So you start praying, you call on God. Let's believe God's gonna, God's gonna heal, God's gonna touch in the name of Jesus. That there are gonna be people they're gonna have the same testimony. Doctors can't explain it, but you'll know God has worked a miracle in your life. Come on, let's call on God right now. If you're not near somebody, stretch out your hand toward them. Let's pray right now. Let's believe God's gonna do something powerful. Heavenly Father, we just pray, Jesus, right now for each person that was standing. God, for each person online, Lord God. God, you are the God, our healer. God, in your name comes healing. And God, I pray, Jesus, that you would touch these bones. God, that you would speak healing and strength in these bones. God, that you would go before them, Lord God, that they would not fret, that they would not be stressed because you are a good God and you love them, Lord God. I pray, Jesus, for each bone that needs healing. I pray for the osteoporosis. God, I pray in your name that bones would be healed. God, that bones would be strengthened. God, that you would do a healing, Lord God, like only you can do. Lord, I pray, Jesus, for victory. God, that we would be able to proclaim your name, Lord God. You are our God our healer. You are a provider. And God, I just pray, Jesus, right now that you would touch, Lord Jesus. God, that you would even give instantaneously healing. Oh God, that you would touch people that at their next scan, Lord God, the doctors would be amazed at the strength of their bones. God, that they would be able to say that their God healed them. God, we love you. We praise you. Amen. seated in the presence of the Lord. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, where we continue our series, Power Today, and we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. Now, just by way of background, what we're going to read in Acts chapter 5 and verse 17 and following the next 25 verses what we're reading there is really set up from a prayer that was prayed in Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter four, you remember that Peter and John, 
healed a man who had been born lame and, he, and he'd been lame for, for 40 years, over 40 years, the Bible says. The result is thousands of people come to Christ. They are told by the religious authorities, the chief priests, the Sadducees, the ruling class, really what is the Jewish ruling council. Think of them as the Supreme Court of Israel, the 70 plus one. They're told, you can't speak anymore, and if you do, if you speak in the name of Jesus, it's not gonna go well for you. They've been warned about that. It's the same group that had worked with the Romans to see Jesus executed. Now, they've been warned not to speak. And so here's what happens in Acts chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Then they, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Here's what they asked. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they're asking God to give them great boldness. They're asking God to give them signs and wonders. How does God answer that prayer? What is his answer to that? Look at it in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And there are signs and wonders like crazy in Acts chapter five. God's answer to the need for boldness, God's answer to the need for signs and wonders is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Plain and simple, you see it throughout the book of Acts. I don't know what church background you're from. Let me just say this, in this congregation, the majority overwhelmingly in this church are not from an Assemblies of God background. So if you feel like maybe you're alone, no, you are in the majority. And yet at the same time, we're not talking about a sectarian or a denominational viewpoint. We're talking about the book of Acts. We're talking about an infilling of the Holy Spirit, a work of the Spirit that is dynamic. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1-8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What kind of power? It's the word dunamis. It's like dynamite. It's dynamic. When you look at it in the book of Acts, that word used 10 times, eight times, you'll receive miraculous power, supernatural power, miracle working power. Two times, it's supernatural boldness that you receive when the Spirit of God comes on you. That's why for the next 10 days, I'm asking you, of all the things we prayed about, they're all great and we wanna pray for all of them, but we wanna pray that there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on everybody who attends this church. Everybody feel full to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. The apostles in Acts 1, they prayed 10 days. Jesus said, wait, don't do anything until you're filled. Probably in that 10 days, they're observing the Jewish customs, so that would have included seasons of fasting. There are some, and you would say, you know what, John? I've asked for it. I've never got it. I've concluded it's not for me. My question is, have you ever fasted 10 days for it? 
Have you ever set aside a 10-day period where you said, you know what, I'm gonna wait. I'm not gonna go, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna ask God to do in my heart that supernatural work that will change my life. This is your opportunity. There are some You've been filled, but like Peter and John, you need to be refilled. You need another outpouring. It's a a continual experience for the Christian. We need to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, Paul writes to the the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. He's writing to Christians. Why is he writing to them? He's saying that in the literal, it is be being kept filled, constantly, continually being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. We need it. You say, why? Because we leak. Because we we get full and then it dissipates over time. We need a fresh outpouring. And when the Spirit of God is poured out on people, it will make them bold. Bold enough to share Christ with anyone, anywhere, as you meet them. And the power to pray for people to be healed. Got a testimony yesterday from Amber down in the Joplin campus. So Amber, she's having her devotional time. I mean, this is a, this is a, a married mother of, of several children, I think four children, and she's sitting there, and as she's praying, uh, having her devotional time, the Lord puts in her heart that there's gonna be a lady at Goodwill with a gray uh, arm brace on her arm, and she's supposed to go pray for her to be healed. So Amber goes to Goodwill. She walks in goodwill, and guess what? There's a lady with a gray arm brace on her arm. She walks up to her, and she says, do you believe in in Jesus? And the lady said, yes. She said, well, he, this is what's happened to me. He sent me to pray for you that you might be healed. She prays for her. Then after she prays for her, she says, would you mind taking your arm brace off so we can see how you're doing? She's completely healed. That's, That's supernatural. Pick it up, Acts chapter 5, verse 16. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, so religious liberals, people who didn't believe in the miracles of the Old Testament, only believed in the first five books of the Bible, didn't believe in the resurrection at all, the afterlife. They're the ruling council in Judaism. And when they hear about this same group that had warned them in chapter four, they're filled with jealousy. I mean, if there's anything, a group of people who are steeped in false piety and religiosity can't stand, it's a move of God. They don't want revival, and they also don't want you to have revival. The Sadducees thought they'd gotten rid of Jesus the moment they crucified him. But now here are his apostles, and they're doing the same things. And so the the ruling council, they are upset. They're jealous of the crowds. People are following them. They're jealous of their power. There are miracles happening. They're jealous of their authority. They're preaching clearly in the name of Jesus without the benefit of formal education. Who do they think they are? Verse 18, they arrested the apostles 
and put them in the public jail. So they round up the 11 original apostles plus the one they voted in in Acts 1. So now they've got them all, Matthias. They're all in, the, in jail there, the 12 of them. As I read that verse, I couldn't help but think of the pastor in Cuba, Orson Villa. He trained, he was trained as a medical doctor, but when he became a Christian, he started holding services in his house in Cuba. So they arrested him and they threw him in prison, but so many people were getting saved in prison that they said, we gotta get him out of prison, so they kicked him out of prison. <laughs> so he kept preaching has over 7,000 people in 600 home churches in that part of Cuba. So the apostles, they're in jail, but what happens is a miracle. Verse 19, look at it, so great. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. And at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Now, I want you to think about this. We don't know, scholars are divided. Is this a year after the resurrection of Jesus? Is it five years? It's somewhere in there, one to five years after the resurrection. Remember what happened when Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? On the way to the garden, Jesus told them, you will all fall away. You're all gonna desert me. I'm gonna be arrested and you're gonna desert me. And Peter, he says, hey, listen, I can't vouch for everybody else, but I know me. And if there's one person who's staying with you, it's me. And I think it's Mark's gospel says, and they all said the same. But the minute the guards show up, they're gone. And then Peter follows and he's at a campfire and with Jesus able to see him, he denies that he knows Jesus three times because Luke tells us when he did it the third time, Jesus looked at him and Peter was crushed and he left. After the resurrection, they, what happens is they're in a room locked, what? For fear of the Jews. The door's locked. I mean, these guys have been timid. These guys have been cowards. And all of a sudden, people who, are, who have been cowards are incredibly courageous. How is that possible? It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit, now they've got supernatural courage. Can I just be honest with you, that's what most Christians need? I mean, honestly, I'm not, I'm not being unkind, I'm just saying here's the, way, here's the lay of the land. In this room, there's a lot of you who are afraid to witness to your family, you're afraid to witness to your coworkers, you're afraid to witness to your friends, you're afraid to talk to hardly anybody about Jesus unless it's kind of like a sinner on a silver platter who comes to you and says, How, what must I do to be saved? Then, then you might. I wanna be unkind, I'm just saying there's, there's a lot of people, you're locked up with fear. Every single human being deserves the chance to hear the gospel. At the start of this series, I quoted, shared a quote from Penn Jillette. He is the part of that magician duo, Penn and Teller. Here's what he said, and by the way, he's an atheist. 
He said, I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Listen, I, I, I get it that there are some people because of the, the charisma of their personality and, and they're an extrovert and they've got the gift of being able to talk to anyone uh, anywhere at any time that it may seem like it would be easier for them and, and, and you can say, well, I'm gonna let them do it. But regardless of your personality, even if you're an extrovert, in order to fearlessly talk about Jesus to anyone, anywhere, we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that we can speak with a supernatural boldness. Look at it, Acts chapter 5, verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. This is the 70 plus one, the ruling council, the high court of Judaism, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering. This is a talk about signs and wonders. This is a wonder. It's something God does that makes you scratch your head and say, I wonder how that happened. It is God doing it. What would come of this? Then someone came in and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. And having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than man. This is supernatural boldness. Boldness to answer clearly. Boldness to answer concisely. Boldness to tell people the truth. You remember, we talked about the, in, our, in our message on chapter four, the Christian and civil disobedience. When can a Christian disobey the government? Two times. Number one, when the government commands us to do what God's word forbids. And number two, when the government forbids us to do what God's word commands. Outside of that, we're law-abiding citizens. You may not like the law, you may not agree with the law, you may, you may think it's, it's a conservative, political deal, you may think it's a liberal political deal, you may think they're trying to control you, you may say, I'm an American, but if you're a Christian, you're a citizen of heaven, and you obey God's word. We obey the laws of the land. 
The angel told them, go preach. Jesus had said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. And with that, Peter and the others began to preach to the Jewish ruling council. Look at it, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You say, how did the Holy Spirit witness? Well, first of all, by giving them signs and wonders and second, by giving them the right words to say. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you, may, you get a prayer language, but the purpose of the baptism is power. Power that not only demonstrates it in itself in a supernatural boldness, but power by which the Holy Spirit can place the words in your mouth and you're saying them, and even as you're saying them, you're like absolutely surprised. Have you ever had that happen? It's so awesome. I mean, Jesus said that would happen. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 11, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about what you will say to defend yourselves, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So here they are, they're, they're speaking, and the Spirit of God is witnessing to the leaders. Verse 33 of Acts 5, and when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. The word furious is used in secular Greek of cutting something in half, of sawing it in half. You say, what does that mean? They were ripped apart. They were torn up. They were beside themselves. Now, if I can just say it, often that's the way people will respond when they're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're sharing the gospel, you're talking about God, and they get mad. Why are they getting mad? You're just telling them good news. Who gets mad over good news? When you're sharing Christ and someone gets angry, you can know the Holy Spirit is at work convicting them. He's tugging on their heart. He's convicting them of their need. He's drawing them to God. Honestly, whenever people are under conviction from the Holy Spirit, I think there are three responses. One is they, they come to a life-changing acceptance of Jesus that radically, powerfully changes their life. Or like this, they have a violent antagonism. I mean, look at it. In verse 33, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. You know, some people will get mad. I, I love this about the Bible. The Bible paints it very straight. I would just say to you, if it's convicting enough to make them mad, it's convicting enough to see them saved. You just have to... You have to you know, if people are re reacting to the message in that way, you know how I view it? They're like this close to getting saved. Because the opposite is of, of interest is when they're completely indifferent. That's, that's, I think it's much harder, generally speaking, to reach an indifferent person. However, I would say at the same time, how do you know what's going on in somebody's heart? 
Some people are very good at playing poker. You can't read what's, not that I would know, but <laughs> you can't read. You can't tell what's going on. They've got the facade going. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, vague ambivalence. I better move right on. These are the people who don't get violent. They don't get angry. They just don't do anything. Or maybe they get a little bit philosophical. That's what an uh, uh, individual that the book of Acts is going to name by the name of Gamaliel. He was a rabban. He was a very honored rabbi, the most honored rabbi of his day. And Paul will say in Acts 22 that he studied under Gamaliel. I mean, he, he, he was considered the best of the best. He was so revered that the Talmud, which is a, a bit of a commentary on the law, said this, when Rabban Gamaliel, the elder, died, regard for the Torah ceased, and purity and piety died. In other words, they felt society kind of went down the tubes when this man died. So this is a, a man who was very respected in Judaism. And so we read this, verse 34 of Acts 5, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, and the Pharisee idea is somebody who is, uh, you could think of them as religious conservatives who had reduced the following of God to essentially uh, 613 laws. And so um, he's a Pharisee, Gamaliel, he's a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. You say, well, that's really good advice. Well, not, not so fast. I mean, think about it for a minute. He's saying whatever succeeds is from God. Whatever doesn't succeed is not. That's not true. If, if whatever succeeds is from God then you would have to say that Islam, one of the fastest growing religions in the world, is of God. And the idea of let's wait and see is equally bad advice. I mean, what more do they need to see? They've seen Jesus resurrected. They've, there are over 500 eyewitnesses. They're hearing it everywhere they go. They've seen miracle after miracle of people being healed. Furthermore, the apostles had just vanished from jail and showed up on the Temple Mount. I mean, how much more did they need to see? Verse 40, look at it. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The Jewish flogging is different from the Roman flogging. The Roman flogging, much more severe, could literally kill a man. The Jewish flogging was 40 minus one. If you, if you beat somebody, if you gave them 40 lashes, you demeaned them. So you gave them 39 lest you go too far. And the Talmud says that the hands of the individual would be 
tied to a post, and the whip consisted of two wide pieces of leather about four feet long. One third of the lashes would be given to the front of the body, two thirds of the lashes would be given to the back. Now I wanna ask you a question. We're talking about supernatural boldness. If you had been flogged, what would you be thinking? Maybe something like, we gotta figure out a way to get out of there and go somewhere where we can witness where it's not like this. Or you might, have, you might be thinking, you know, God's calling me to sunny Cyprus. I just feel it in my bones. You know, there's a supernatural grace that comes with supernatural boldness. They have that happen to them. And do you know what they do when they're done? Rather than saying, I mean, can you believe this? This is terrible. What could happen next? They're threatening to kill us. They're beat us. Next thing you know, they're gonna kill us. That's not even on their radar at all. They, they walk out of there and they're happy. They walk out of there and they're high-fiving one another. They're, they're walking out of there and like, can you believe that? We got a chance to be beat for Jesus. Right on, Peter, those straps look good on you. You know, I mean, they're, they're like, they're just celebrating. You say, really? Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering for the disgrace of the name. I mean, that is supernatural grace that comes with supernatural boldness. You see, and, and I say this in part because I think sometimes people think that being willing to witness to somebody for Christ is the same as supernatural boldness. It's not. It's a difference. So some people say, well, I don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wrong again. There's something about when the Spirit of God comes on you, He empowers you to do what is no longer natural, it is supernatural. The baptism in the Holy Spirit moves you into a supernatural arena. You, and you say, well, I'm baptized, and I've never felt that way, ever had that. Then let me just say this, you're not baptized in the way the book of Acts talks about being baptized, which means you don't have all that you're supposed to have. You say, but John, I, I have my prayer language, I speak in tongues. And to that I say, that's wonderful, but Jesus didn't say you'll receive tongues when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He said you'll receive power, supernatural power, dynamic power. And, and then he, he says, and you'll be my witnesses. You know that word witness, you know, that's the Greek word that we get our word martyr from. You'll be my martyrs in Jerusalem. You'll be willing to die in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria into the ends of earth. You'd be willing to die for me anywhere for sharing the gospel. You'd be willing to. Why? You say, who'd be, ever be willing? Because you had a supernatural boldness and a supernatural grace that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you get that? I'm not saying you're going to die. I'm just saying if you did, you'd be, you'd be okay with it. I'm just saying it wouldn't be the thing your self-preservation 
would no longer be what drives you. What would drive you is the power of the Holy Spirit and the glory of Jesus Christ. And you would say, you know what? I'm not afraid of the things I used to be afraid of because I've got a power I've never had before my whole life. Verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped. I mean, they've been beaten and the priests are like, you do it again, we're gonna kill you. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants to do in you. It's what he wants to do in all of us. It's what he wants to do in believers. He wants to fill us full to overflowing. He wants to give us that dynamic, that dynamite power of the Holy Spirit that when he comes on you, you have the power of heaven, the power to pray for a woman in the Goodwill store and see her arm healed, the power to lay hands on the sick, the power to share the good news of Jesus in an extraordinary way. And I'm just telling you, these are unique days at James River. I've been here 30 years, but we've never seen what we're seeing right now. And I just really feel in the timing of the Lord, in the planning of the Lord, we're at the right place, the right time for God to do some things. We're seeing things we've never seen before. And I'm telling you, it's just getting started. It's just getting started. Just open your heart, see what God will do. Just say, God, every day say, Lord, I just wanna be filled full to overflowing. And while you're doing it, give John and Debbie some and give everybody else some and just, you know, I mean, seriously, let's, let's pray for the community. Let's all of us be filled with the Holy Spirit as much as we possibly can, right? And have that kind of supernatural power.